Hey, my name is James. I'm the pastor of The Rising, and welcome to our podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I have prayed that this message is inspiring, encouraging, and it motivates you to grow closer to God today. I want to remind you that you're not changed by the word that you hear, but by the word that you do. So put this into practice. Lean forward, get ready. I hope you have an expectant attitude because I believe God wants to speak to you today. Mina Chikara, a psychology professor at Harvard University, shared a story in her TED Talk called When I Becomes We. And she said that years ago, she and her husband went to a Red Sox-Yankees game at Yankee Stadium. And her husband was a Red Sox fan, so he wore his Red Sox hat, she said. Uh, Mina said that uh, she wasn't really a fan of either team, and she didn't really care much about baseball, but, but she was there to just be with her husband. And she said before the game and for the first few innings, uh, some of the Yankees fans heckled her husband, and, and he heckled them back. Uh, but she said it was all in good fun, right? I mean, they were just joking around. They were giving him a hard time. He, was, he gave them a hard time. It was harmless back and forth. I mean, everybody was laughing. But she said as the innings wore on and the game got closer and each team uh, exchanged the lead, she said that the interactions between her husband and the Yankees fans grew more hostile, right? His patience was wearing thin. She said the taunts became more aggressive and vulgar. And she thought, these people are about to fight my husband. <laughs> so she took the hat from him. She didn't have any place to put it, so she wore it herself. And she thought to herself, I don't even like baseball. I don't care about either of these teams. Like nobody is gonna say anything to me. And if they do, it won't bother me because I don't care about any of this. And then she said the insults came her way, and they were mean, they were nasty and vulgar. And Mina said that she withstood the insults for about 10 minutes until she started yelling back. She said her husband had to stand between her and a Yankees fan to prevent a brawl. <laughs> and afterwards, as a psychology professor, Mina said, Mina said that, that she thought through why this was? Why, why did she react the way that she did? Why, why was there such hostility? Why did people respond the way they did to her and her husband? And, and, and why did they respond the way they did? Uh, these are complete strangers yelling and taunting one another, right? They're yelling at and taunting one another, almost getting into a fight with one another. Why was this? And it's because of the psychology of us versus them that was created by the hat. See, Mina her husband, they were regular people. I mean, they were just like everyone else in that stadium, but because they wore the hat, it placed them in a different group. See, it wasn't Mina, the Harvard psychology professor, talking with Greg, the father of three. It was a Red Sox fan versus a Yankees fan. I mean, there was a rivalry, and because you're in that group and I'm in this group, we're against one another. Because you have that hat on, it means this, 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 and this about you. And because I'm in this group over here, it means this, this, this about me. We are rivals and opposites. See, because Mina was in a different group, the Yankees fans couldn't see her as a person just like them. They saw her as the enemy and treated her as such. And this is the problem when I becomes we. Right? Our, our society, our culture, 
is one that adopts the mindset of us versus them. And it's more prevalent now than ever before, but it's something that's been happening for all of history even now, right? I mean, Catholics versus Protestants, colonists versus Native Americans, rich versus poor, Republicans versus Democrats, straight versus gay, Christians versus Muslims, atheists, Jews, black versus white, vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers, north versus south, east coast versus west coast, uh, mask wearers versus no mask wearers. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. See, we default into dividing into groups, and when we do this, we find some solidarity and some camaraderie with those in our group, but we create competition and even vilify those outside of our group. See, we look out for those in our group while caring less for those in other groups. We empathize and identify with and give the benefit of the doubt to those in our groups. We defend those in our groups and we see them as individuals. And then we stereotype, characterize, doubt, judge, write off those in other groups. See, when I becomes we, and it's us versus them, and, and what we see are groups instead of individuals, people, it leads to division, racism, sexism, inequality, oppression, injustice, and hate. All things the Christian has no room for in his or her life. See, a Christian is someone who decides to follow Jesus. And, and following Jesus, uh, in following Jesus, this person seeks to be more like Jesus, laying down their life so that they can live through him. The mantra of the Christian is this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the Christian lives by this command, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And here's how this looks practically. For the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. See, see Jesus uh, was once asked by this expert in God's law what the most important commandment was. And Jesus said, Love God first and foremost. And then there's a second that's just as important. He said, love your neighbor. It's what Paul re repeated. It, it, it's what we just read in Galatians. But when Jesus said it, there was this guy who wanted to know just what his limits were, right? He, he wanted to know, to know who was and who wasn't his neighbor. Who did he have to love and who did he not have to love? So he asked Jesus who his neighbor was. Hey, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus essentially said, Everyone is your neighbor. Like even those people in that group, whatever the group is. See, Jesus told this story. And even if you're not a Christian, you're familiar with this story. It's about a good Samaritan. See, see this Jewish guy is on his way from the temple in Jerusalem and he's ransacked by some robbers who assault him and leave him for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus said that there were some people in his own group, right? Jewish religious people who as they traveled, they saw him and they walked on by. But then he said a Samaritan saw him and the Samaritan went to him and he tended to his wounds. He gave of his own resources and had the man put in a hotel to be cared for until he recovered. And Jesus said that Samaritan, that Samaritan to the Jewish man, he was his neighbor. He saw that Jewish man. He saw him and he loved him and he helped him out. So who's my neighbor? 
Who, who should I love? Who should I help? Who should I see? Who should I hear? Jesus said, people like the Samaritans are your neighbor. Let me, let me give you some context for this. See, 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 the Jews of Jesus' day hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. I mean, there, there's racism, rivalry, and division, right? The, the Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breeds, people who compromise on their faith because 700 years earlier, when Israel was conquered by the Assyrians, many Jews were deported and dispersed from Israel. These Jews were the diaspora Jews who, who stayed true to their faith and heritage and lineage. But, but then there were some Jews who remained in Samaria, but they compromised their faith. They compromised their lineage and heritage, and they married some of the Assyrians, their conquerors. And these Jews weren't fully Jewish anymore. And when the diaspora Jews who remained pure returned to Israel, they looked down on these weak Jews now called Samaritans who had compromised their faith and Jewish heritage by intermarrying. And so Jesus said to this guy who asked him, who's my neighbor? He says, you wanna know who your neighbor is? It's the people you're racist against. It's the people you hate. It's the people who are different from you. It's the people you've put in a group and painted with a broad brush stroke. And in the story Jesus shares, uh, he helps his audience see Samaritans, not as a group, but as an individual. He helps his audience see the Samaritans as this individual Samaritan. He forces them to see him and shows them how he sees this other individual from a different group who's been assaulted and left for dead. See, the story of the Good Samaritan is a story of how we see not groups, but individuals and have mercy and love and compassion for them. So, how do we love our neighbor? How do we love people? How do we see them not in a group, but as individuals? It's not, it's not they, it's us. It's we. It's not those black people, those white people, those cops, those LGBTQ people, those illegal immigrants, those rich people, those poor people on welfare, those demonstrators, rioters, protesters, those thugs, those fans who are just celebrating, those Democrats, those Republicans. It's, it's, that, that's John. That, that's Cheryl. Right? That's Jose. That's Kayla. See, the way we love our neighbor and find unity is by seeing and hearing people as people, not as nameless, faceless groups who have an agenda to push. And listen, this isn't political. It's not social. This is the way of Jesus. And it's for every person who follows Jesus to follow. Because Jesus saw not the group, but every time in his ministry, he saw the individual and he loved them. And if we're going to be like Jesus and live in love and unity, then we, like Jesus, have to see the individual apart from the group. And when we see them, when we hear them, we may just find that we aren't that different after all. I want to introduce you to Micah. Well, Micah is part of our church, and uh, Micah, 
You know, 2020 has been a year of change. It's been a year of hurt, heartbreak, division, progress, awakening, fighting, listening, yelling, protesting, rioting, uh, insults, rebuttals. And, and a lot of what we're seeing in our country was sparked by some of the most recent killings of unarmed black people. People like Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, killed by cops or concerned citizens. And, and this isn't new, right? I mean, it's, it's been going on for years with people like Eric Garner, Walter Scott, Philando Castile, Sandra Bland, Amadou Diallo, like all the way back to Emmett Till. And, and even beyond that, for over 400 years in this country. So, so these events in 2020, it, it's nothing new. But, but just like with the events of the Civil Rights Movement and the photos that came out after the aftermath of what took place after the peaceful march over the Edmund Pettus Bridge turned violent in 1965, uh, just like those photos, from Bloody Sunday awoke a nation. Uh, th these events have awakened our nation yet again to the problem of racism and systemic oppression in our society. And, and we've seen people of all races rise and stand together for change. But we've also seen pushback and denial and division around all this, right? And, and, and Mike, I'll tell you, when I saw the horrific video of Ahmaud Arbery, when I saw the video of Eric Garner, when I recall what happened with Trayvon Martin, and when I saw the excruciating video of George Floyd, I thought that could be any of my friends who are black. And I wondered if this was a shared experience or a shared thought amongst the black community. So I started listening to people's stories and, and I just wanted to give you time to share your story. So, so, so is it fair <laughs> to say that being a black man in America, you have a different experience than I do? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say so. Um, I would say we all live in America, but we haven't all necessarily experienced the same America. Yeah. So, so tell me about that. When, uh, because I don't have your experience. I haven't grown up in your in your shoes. You, you haven't grown up in mine. But tell me um, your your experience uh, just growing up black in America, right? Um, well, I would say. Um, like at a very early age, I believe I was about uh, six or seven, um, I was introduced to racism for the first time. It was very abrupt, yeah. very like a in-your-face kind of experience. Um, I'm walking home from a t-ball practice one day. Um, it's maybe half a mile, you know, to my uh, from the fields to my house, and yeah. uh, you could you could see it. It's just a dirt road. Uh, you walk through some tall grass, and it's right there. But uh, I'm walking, and uh, this lady pulls up next to me, cuts me off. I mean, I have to jump back to keep her from clipping me with her bumper. Yeah. And she's just uh, yelling at me. Uh, you know, she drops the N-word. You know, she calls me a spear chuck and tar baby. And then she literally just drives off. Yeah. I've never seen the lady before. I've never seen her since. And it's, I did nothing to her that I could possibly think. Yeah, you're just walking home from T-ball practice. And you said, when we talked earlier, you said, and she told you, go back home, right? Go back to where you're from. And you're like, I'm from here. Yeah, I was literally <laughs> born in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. I, am, I am at where I'm from. <laughs> so, so she pulls pulls up, hurls these insults at you. What did you feel at the time? What did you think at the time? Um, definitely fear would be the first thing that comes to mind. Just like not understand. I mean, it's shocking, first of all. Yeah. Um, just like nothing's ever happened to me like that before. Um, but then just like, like just not understanding like why, you know, just like I haven't done anything. And you're six at the time, you're six or seven years old. Oh, yeah, like Man. the little bit that I do know at the age of six is that like, yeah, people get mad at you if you do something wrong, but sure. I haven't done anything. So what, right. why is she angry? 
and it's because of the color of your skin, that was it. And so then, so you got home and you, you told your parents about that. What did what'd they say? Um, well, I remember coming home and, you know, I, I asked my mom about it. I don't think my dad had gotten home yet. And just the look in her eyes, like to this day, I don't think I've ever seen her so angry before, just so hurt. And, you know, I, I just remember her like running over, like wrapping me up in her arms. You know, she tells me that, you know, she loves me, like my dad loves me. Um, you know, uh, my siblings love me, but she, I very specifically remember her saying like some people will not like you or some people will even hate you for nothing more important than the color of your skin. That's it. So. Yeah. And you know, I think about, like, so for me, my experience, my parents, my mom has never told me, um, oh, some people won't like you because of the color of your skin or how you look. I, I've never, I've never thought about that, like growing up. But that's something that you've, you've, you were told by your mom, but it's also something you've experienced throughout your life growing up, right? Oh, yeah, like, what are other experiences that you've had? So, so that was when you were six, seven years old. This woman says this to you, but what are other experiences you, you've had of, of racism growing oh. up? Well, I remember when we still lived uh, in Arkansas, I remember I had a birthday, and um, on my actual birthday, we couldn't go to the bowling alley because there was a motorcycle gang there that yeah. happened to go down the same day. And they were known for like, you know, uh, race, racial issues and tensions and whatnot. So my parents told me we had to wait till the weekend to go instead. Yeah. We couldn't go like on my actual birthday. Just like little stuff like that, that like you don't really like pick up on as much as a child. Yeah. But then like you look back on it as an adult and it's just like, okay, I totally get that now. Gotcha. Um, different things like that. I mean, I've been followed around in Dillard's when I was in college um, and it's weird, like, I understand if I, like, show up in, like, a backpack and, like, a hoodie with shades on and stuff. Yeah. But, like, I'm in jeans and some basketball shorts. Right. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i in a shirt and basketball shorts. And yeah. Like, what, what am I going to take? Like, <laughs> what yeah. can I get away with? Um, but I remember going to multiple departments within the store, and the same security officer is following me around. Right. And he's trying to be nonchalant about it, but it's like, dude, you're standing right there when I walked in. Yeah. And here I am, way on the other side of the store, you're still here. I go to the cologne section, you're still here. Like it's Yeah. And we we talked before and you said you are hyper aware of your environment everywhere you go. Tell tell us about that. Um, well, anytime I go somewhere, especially if I'm going there for the first time, um, I'm very I make it a point to really like understand my environment and see like what's going on around me. Like, am I the only black person here? Like, yeah. what's the atmosphere like? Like, are people welcoming? Are they inviting? Like, are they, you know, because a lot of times you can tell, like when you walk into a room, you can tell when you're the only black person there. I mean, I've walked into places and you know, like just the attention just shifts, you know, some people stop talking, certain people will just start looking at you and it's, and it's weird. And yeah. it's very like, it's, you can literally feel the energy in the room just shift. Huh. So it's, 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 very, it's very disturbing at times when you know you're walking into a place and you instantly feel like unwelcomed. And I think that's like uh, when I came to The Rising for the first time, um, something that made me instantly want to come back because as opposed to feeling unwelcome, as soon as I walk in, I mean, people are friendly. Before I even get to the door, yeah. they're already saying, hello, how are you? You know, Some people even remember my name when I came back multiple times. Yeah. Um, so it's just, you can instantly tell that difference when you walk into a place and people are open and people are inviting and people are welcoming as opposed to you're there and they don't really know you and it's yeah. kind of standoffish. Yeah. So how, um, 
So, but if, and, and, and I can imagine somebody may be saying this, but how do you know that's a race thing? Like, how do you know it's not, it's not just you as, as a person? Like, like how, how can you tell that? It's, I would say it's one of those things, almost as simple as like, you know, when you're waiting in line to check out. And yeah. Um, there's been instances where I'm in line behind multiple people and it just so happens that day several people in front of me were white and then I happen to be the only black person in line. Yeah. And then when I get there, like you can tell like the lady at the register or something like that is not as friendly or just like open to changes, you. Huh? Yeah, like she'll, you know, be like, good morning, you know, how they doing, blah, blah, blah. And then I get up there and it's just like, yeah, just, just ring it up real quick <laughs> and just put it in a bag and yeah. just like, all right, go ahead. And, you know, yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more dismissive in a way, like not just outright rude or, you know, um, like just like angry or anything like that, but just like, okay, let's hurry up and just get them out real quick. Yeah. And, and that, per, that cashier might not even be thinking anything, but that, that, that has to do with race or anything like that. And, but there's just a subtlety is what you're saying. So, so it seems like for, for a lot of people, um, I, I think most people would say, I'm not racist, right? I'm not racist. Um, because I think often we associate racists with people who are gonna put uh, white, white sheets on and go burn crosses and stuff like that. There's no way I would ever do that or I would, I would never call somebody the N-word or anything like that. And so I'm not racist. But, but racism expresses itself in subtle ways with implicit bias and things we, we don't even know based on how we grew up and our demeanor and stereotypes we have and things like that. So, so, so you're saying you've experienced a lot of the subtleties of racism that maybe uh, most people, people like myself, wouldn't even notice, right? right? Okay. So, so when I uh, see uh, the video of George Floyd, right? Again, I just think that could be any, any black man that I know. Um, and when I see and hear stories of other people who are abused and, and killed, some of the scenarios are like, I don't know what they could have done differently, right? Um, so I wonder, is there a fear that you have like when you wake up and you go throughout the day, is there a fear that you have? Like, am I gonna make it home today? Um, I would say for me individually, um, I wouldn't say it's a constant state of fear, but yeah. there are like certain situations that I'll be in that that fear does kind of creep up in the back of your mind. Like um, when I hang out with my friends, like I never stay out too late. Okay. Um, I'm usually like one of the first people to leave because I just don't want to put myself in a position where something could happen. Like yeah. for me, if I could control the opportunity for er like, for error and I can, you know, reduce it as much as possible, I will because unfortunately, like I don't have much room for error. Okay. Um, like with George Floyd, um, he was arrested under suspicion of using counterfeit money, but as it turns out, that money was real. Okay. But he's still dead today anyway. Yeah. So it's just, even if you're doing everything right, something could still happen. So the very least I can do is make sure I'm doing all that I can yeah. to make sure things like that don't happen to me. And that's a reality you face. You feel like, I don't, I don't have room for error because if I mess up once, that could be it. Right, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, I have my concealed carry permit and I never carry my gun with me. Gotcha. Even when I have it, it never leaves the car because for some people, I'm already a target or I can already be scary. Yeah. If I have a gun with me, that instantly makes me a threat. Yeah. In some people's minds. And, and a lot of them, it's not even like open racism, but it's just when you've been living a certain way and you've viewed certain people a certain way all your life, like you can't help but instantly jump to right. that fear or to that conclusion. Right. And like, I understand that's how other people may view me at times. Yeah. Because, I mean, you said there are times where, where people have been afraid of you just by your presence. Absolutely. Like, like when? Um, I used to work in downtown uh, Norfolk. Um, I used to work at the Marriott, um, the shoeless at the bottom of the hotel. Yeah. And uh, I would park at MacArthur Parking Garage and I would just like walk, you know, the quarter mile between the two buildings. Um, I was walking past one day, um, just off, I was middle of the night, I'm probably like 11 something and I'm off my shift. But I'm still wearing like my chef coat and everything, like yeah. that's where I work and everything. So you're in your uniform, where yes. you work, all that stuff, and you're walking to, to get to your car. Yeah. And it's right across the street from a bank building, and I'm walking right in front of another parking garage. So there's cameras everywhere. Yeah. There's street lights, everything. And I see uh, this group of three women uh, approaching the same side of the sidewalk I'm on. And I distinctly remember noting them crossing the street. And then after I pass, they come back to my yeah. side of the street. And I understand, you know, it's a dangerous world we live in, but it's just, you, you gotta be a pretty bad criminal if I'm telling you where I work, yeah. right outside of where I work. Yeah. And I'm about to do something like that. It's just, you know, it's, but it's that inherent fear. Like it's, cause it's probably not even a conscientious decision that they made. It's probably just something maybe their, their parents taught them to do is like if you're walking alone at night, you know, try to avoid people and whatnot. Yeah. So it may not even be necessarily that I was black, but a lot of times it can be. So, uh, and I think it's so important to do this because there are some who would say, well, racism doesn't exist anymore. I mean, equality is there. We've, the Emancipation Proclamation happened. We've had civil rights. Racism is only, uh, like only extreme people are racist. Racism isn't really a thing. Like, what would you say to that? Um. I would say that it, it's a big part of human nature to have that lack of empathy when it comes to like, if something is not your problem, yeah. then it's not really a problem. Okay. I mean, I've, I've never dealt with depression a day yeah. in my life, but I've seen its effects on people. I've, I've seen a woman lose 40 pounds in a month because she literally can't bring herself to eat. Yeah. I've seen like the weight that that can put on someone. And just because I haven't experienced it doesn't make it any less real. It's, it's very much so real. Yeah. Um, I would I would tell anybody that doesn't believe racism is still alive and well that life throws enough problems at you already. I wouldn't manufacture a problem that right. I don't have. Because, I mean, you're sharing, you're saying, hey, here's what I've experienced. Here's what I've seen. This is my life. This is what's going on. And then so many other people are saying, hey, this is our reality. And so you're saying, like, wait, why would we make this up if it wasn't real? <laughs> yeah. So how... Um, how can people, what, what, would you, what would you encourage people to do to, to change the situation, to, to change things? Um, I would say definitely take more time to really listen to people, especially when they're trying to address a problem that is so widespread like racism. Yeah. Um, 
when they're trying to tell you where they're coming from because especially if they're willing to take that time to tell you where they're coming from you can really understand why they think or act the way they do and that allows you to move better in that situation as well um, it's just one of those things you you gotta really master loving people like even if you yeah. don't know them even if you don't have anything in common with them um, it's, it's one of those things if you can manage it 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 doesn't take any like drastic major life changes like right. you don't have to sell your house, you don't have to move, you don't have to switch career fields. Yeah. But just that general respect and love for the people around you would move mountains in this situation. Yeah. And I so it sounds like what you're saying is don't see the group, but see the individual, get to know people, hear their stories, understand and empathize with them. Um so one of uh, so, so so we're in this time right now where so much attention is is being brought to uh, racism and systemic racism and injustice and, and inequality. Um, and a phrase that's been chanted so often is "Black Lives Matter." And uh, you know, I, I was a person years ago who, when I heard that phrase, I would say, "Well, don't all lives matter?" Right? Like like I would say because what I thought was being said, what I inserted in there was, I, I thought it was being said like only black lives matter or black lives matter more right and i would insert those but I, I found that's not what was being said and that wasn't that wasn't the statement at all it was simply black lives matter and and maybe just to clarify it it could be black lives matter black lives matter also uh, as well in, in addition to all life and so at no point was it ever we're better or superior or anything like that and and so now i've seen um as that phrase is said, people often respond still with, well, don't all lives matter? And so what, what do you think about that? And what do you say about that? Because I, I think with that phrase, Black Lives Matter, it's like the baseline, right? Like, of course, we should be in a place in our society where we say, of course, Black Lives Matter. Not only do they matter, but they're important and valuable and precious and special and yeah, we should we should recognize that and see that. But right now, the cry is just, "Hey, can we can we just matter?" <laughs> right? I mean, what, what do you think about that? What do you say? It's um, to people that will answer Black Lives Matter with "All Lives Matter." It's it's very odd because it almost makes me think like some of them have never been in an emergency. I mean, what if you came home and your house was on fire? Sure. And the fire department gets there and they start spraying all the houses. Yeah. Well, my house is on fire, but all the houses matter. Yeah. That's, that's literally what it feels like because I understand every single human life is very precious. But when you routinely see people that look like you dead in the streets and there's no justice coming and yeah. it doesn't get as much national attention most of the time and there's not much of a follow-up case and it just time and time again you see that people don't really care that much. Like a lot of times, like you, I feel like my life does not matter. Gotcha. I feel like it, it, I could die tomorrow and there won't be justice and my parents will just have to put me in the dirt and my mom's just gonna have to cry herself to sleep at night because it, nothing is gonna be done about it. Yeah. So when they say like Black Lives Matter, it's like we're, we're just trying to say, it's just like, hey, but after 400 years of oppression and systemic issues that we've had to overcome time and time again, we just want equality. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy that we're not even asking for revenge. It's just for equality. Yeah. Like that's, that's, all, that's all anybody ever wanted. Yeah. Just the same thing that other people would have. That's it. 
Yeah, and I, I heard a, a, a speech from a woman recently, and she was saying the exact same thing you said. Hey, we're just asking for equality. We could be asking for revenge over the past 400 years, but we're not. So she was like, so be glad we're not asking for revenge. We just want equality. And, uh, and I like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, and, and I think we should have reached equality so long ago. But, but one of the things that I'm discovering too is that um, equality will, will get here sooner when we realize that there is a problem by listening to the experience of the one, listening to the experience of the individual, listen, listening to people like, like, like you and, and hearing your story and not pushing back or defending. Uh, but then also for those who say, well, I'm not racist, or, this, or for those who are unaffected, equality won't get here until the unaffected are affected and, and play a part in, in seeing change happen. What, what would you say to that? Um, I would say that's, that's very true because in, in an area where racism is already a part of the culture, it's yeah. a part of some of the infrastructure, of how just regular day-to-day -day business is conducted, it's not enough to just not be actively racist, but like you literally have to be anti-racist in order to kind of reverse the situation. Right. Because you literally have to make it a point to change your thought process mm. about a lot of things. And it's just, it's not crazy changes that have to be made, but just subtle changes yeah. within each individual that will create that much larger change overall. Yeah. And I love what you said when we talked earlier about equality. You said when we're asking for equality, we're not asking for anyone to give anything up, right? That, yeah, tell us about that. When we ask for equality and like to be viewed as equal, to have equal rights and to be viewed like as just as important as anyone else, it, it's not pizza. If I take a slice, that it doesn't mean you get less. Right. Rights can be equally given to anyone and everyone and everyone will still have the exact same rights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just because I got something doesn't mean you get anything less than what you already have right now. Right. So one of the, one of the responses when we talk about uh, police brutality or um, unarmed black men and black w women even being killed, I mean, you think about people like Sandra Bland and, and Breonna Taylor, um, one of the responses that's often said is, well, you know, um, there's black on black crime. What about that? I thought all lives matter. or I thought black lives matter. And so what, what, what do you say to that? Um, well, I would say just the phrase black on black crime. Yeah. Um, you can tell it was used as a defense mechanism because yeah. nobody ever says white on white crime. Nobody ever says Asian on Asian crime. Like I've, I've never heard those terms used. Okay. But a lot of times they'll use it when black people are at war with each other. But black people have been at war with each other for so long because we still carry so many of those racial cultural issues with us from slavery. Um, I would say slave culture is still a very present thing within the black culture. And that's something like we have to work on internally because even for us, our mindset has to change. Gotcha. Like it's not, it's not just, you know, white people or Asian people or Hispanic people having to change the way they think. Black people have to change the way we think. Yeah. Because we really need, this is new, this is new territory for everyone. I mean, black people have never been heard more than we've been heard this year. Right now, yeah. yeah. So this is, this is new territory for us. And, and so we have to carry ourselves in a, to a higher standard as well. 
because until we fully respect ourselves and what we're capable of and who we are as a people, it's, yeah, it's not our job to like change the way other people think, but like we have to set that standard first. Yeah. If you don't respect yourself, like are you, you really think others will. You're saying, yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah, we need to deal with that. Like we're, we gotta, the black community, we gotta take care of that. What we're asking for is everyone to help us with uh, the the just police brutality and, and what's going on that um, that others are a part of, right? Is that is that a fair assessment? Absolutely, because I would say when you're a police officer, you are held to that higher standard because this is your profession. Like this is what you're trained for. This is what you signed up to do to volunteer to protect and serve yeah but so often so many black people like i i don't feel protected or served like i don't i don't feel like a, there should be comfort when you see police officers around like i know i'm safe i know everything's going to be fine yeah. even if something crazy was to happen and like, you don't feel here. that no a lot of times i don't um i would say i feel that way i know a few police officers personally yeah those are the few that I feel safe around because I know them on a personal the level. The ones you know, yeah. But random police officers that I've never met before, like, you always have that fear in the back of your mind because you don't know what their mindset is at first gotcha. until you interact with them. And then you can decide, okay, everything's fine or, uh-oh, I gotta be on my toes here. And it's not that you're saying that all police are bad. You're just saying, I don't know them and I don't know who is bad. So, so I'm just cautious all around. <laughs> Gotcha. And I think, I think that's interesting too, because oftentimes, I, and, and I don't want to, well, it, it's an assessment and a judgment. I think oftentimes people think, oh, well then, if we say Black Lives Matter, we're saying all cops are bad. And nobody's saying that. Um, you're just saying, I, I just don't know them, and I don't know if they're a bad cop or a good one. So I just got to be cautious. Absolutely. Yeah. What What's the message you feel like you've been given uh, growing up? and just where you are now. What, what's the message you feel like society culture has given you, has said to you? Um, I would say that for black people, like I just feel like it's always been an uphill fight. Okay. Um, it's almost like uh, everyone trying to get to the top of a hundred story building. Um, some people were born on the 99th floor with the elevator open and all you have to do is go in and push the button. Gotcha. And that's fine. Like, if that's where you were at, like, you should go in, push the button, go to the top. That's yeah. what we're all trying to do. But to not understand that some people had to start at the lobby or some people haven't even actually made it to the building yet. Oh, yeah. And have to take the stairs all the way up. It's, you got to understand, it's just, we're not all having the same life. We're not all having the same experience. We struggle differently we have to achieve success differently. Mm. You know, my, my, my fear in this, as people watch this, is that um, the response may be a quick, yeah, but, or, well, it's not really, or it, just a quick response. And so my hope is that as we, as we do this, um, people would, would just listen and hear, because this is your experience. You're, you're sharing, here's how, life is for me right it's one of those things where like i love america this is this is my home this yeah. is where i'm from um if america had to go to war tomorrow i would sign up to fight for it i would yeah. i genuinely would um 
Both my parents served in the Air Force. Um, both my brothers were in the Coast Guard. My sister was in the Army. Um, I, I grew up in a military household where you respect the flag, where you respect the national anthem. I heard it a lot growing up. Yeah. Um, I even joined the Navy um, out of high school, and um, both my uh, both my grandfathers are war veterans in the Army. You would you would have you know uh, war veterans that would come back, and they would come back to parades. Right. And you know they would get free food from restaurants and everything. Like it was, they were celebrated. They were heroes. Yeah. But then my grandfathers came back, and they still had to pick up their food from the back of the kitchen. They still have to sit at the back of the bus. They still have you know, designated water fountains that they could drink from that half the time didn't even actually work. Yeah. You know, they still have to live in red line districts because no one will let them buy a house in the nicer neighborhoods, even though they can afford it. Mm. And so I think what you said is so true that we all live in America, but our experience living in America is different. Yeah. yeah. It's just that, you know, we all grew up in America, but we really haven't all experienced the same America. And yeah. I think that's a big thing that a lot of people get hung up on because they think, well, I live here and America's great. Well, I'm genuinely, truly happy that it's been great for you. Yeah. That, that's fantastic. It really is. And I hope it stays that way for you. But you have to understand it's really not that way for everyone. Right. A lot of us have had to struggle more with things just, just based off the laws that are passed or the culture established in police precincts, or how a judge will view a white person that's being prosecuted as opposed to a black person that's being prosecuted. Yeah. Just every day-to-day -day thing that for one person would be perfectly fine, for us, it may not be that way. Yeah. And here's, here's what I think, you know, as we, as we talk about seeing people and loving our neighbor, and, and having compassion and mercy and empathy for people. It, it's looking past seeing people in, as groups, like in a group, because with a group we can just paint it with a broad brushstroke, but seeing the individuals, right, of those groups. Uh, oftentimes people, uh, I'll hear people talk about different things. They'll, they'll say things that may seem uh, racist or controversial or whatever, and, uh, and maybe it's speaking out against a certain group. So there's sometimes where I'll ask people, hey, what do your black friends think about that? And uh, oftentimes it's like, oh, well, I don't know, because they've never talked to them, or they don't have any, <laughs> right? So, so I'll just ask, what are your, because it's moving beyond seeing people as groups um, and seeing people as individuals and, and loving them. And, and here's what I think is so, bro so great. I mean, we're, we're in this series, We Are the Church, you're part of our church. You're, you're a Christian who said yes to Jesus. That means that you and I are brothers. That means that you and I um, will be in heaven together one day. Uh, we're part of God's kingdom first and foremost. So the number one group we have allegiance to and that we're in together is this group of faith, this group of Christianity. And so, um, if anything, for, and that's what's so great about Christianity. There's so many people who are all who are different, who look different, speak different, live differently, but we're all in the same group uh, as people who follow Jesus. And uh, in light of that, uh, we should be united together and see one another and love one another. So I do feel very blessed to be alive right now. Um, in a time of change, I mean, change can be uncomfortable and yeah. scary at times because you don't know exactly how everything's going to look or feel at the end of it. But um, 
the first time in American history that all 50 states protested for one cause. I mean, this is literally the most you've seen people come together for a specific cause, literally since 9-11. Yeah. Um, and that's shocking to me. I mean, you see the, like the, the press coverage of the, of the protests and you see just as many white people, Hispanic people, Filipino people, like just everybody, just as many as mm -hmm. black people, if not more. I mean, even in other countries, 18 other countries, people that don't even live here at all, yeah, still coming together yeah. to support. This is literally global. I mean, this <laughs> the world is coming together <laughs> around this, right? The entire world. Yeah, and if you're not in it, it's like, what are you waiting for? Come on, yeah. I mean, if there was ever a time to be like, well, I'll at least listen. I'll at least hear it out. Like, it's, it's a great time. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> it's a, it's a great it. time. I love it. So, Micah, what can, what can I do? What can people who look like me do to help? I would just say um, take time to hear it when pain or frustration or anger is being felt because I can promise you whatever they may be saying or complaining about in that moment, it's not the first time. Mm. It probably won't be the last time. Um, but it is, it, it, it is very uplifting to feel heard. Yeah. For people to legitimately understand. Um, that, is, that is a major thing. Um, because now more than ever, that's actually starting to happen. Yeah. It's never really been quite like this before. Um, people have protested, people have rioted, but to actually be heard and people are actually like in Congress, in the Senate, actually trying to make changes now. That's something that I don't, I don't think we've ever really seen it like this before. Yeah. But um, I would say it's, I think good changes are coming. They are, they are on the way and it's a process. None of this will happen overnight, but over the next decade or two to see how things shift. Mm. I'm, I'm really excited for that. Cool. Well, Micah, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for sharing your experience. And um, I'm glad uh, that we are in this same group under Christ, uh, pursuing Him, working to make this world look more like heaven. So thanks for your time. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. And I'm just so grateful for this ministry. And I'm so grateful for all the people who give financially to support this ministry. If you've been blessed, touched, uh, inspired by this ministry, I wanna encourage you uh, to give back to what God is doing so that we can get the word out to more and more people. Thanks again for tuning in. Hey, and if you like it, make sure to share it with somebody. Take a screenshot, share it with somebody. You can like, subscribe to this podcast so you get it every single week. Again, thanks so much for tuning in, and we believe that the best is yet to come.